not going to be in the same place as you are right now, that things are always changing in God's kingdom and, and uh, in, in our lives. He's doing great and wonderful things all the time. I think back to, I don't know, I, you know, sometimes you, you get around your people that were from your childhood and, and you see them and, you, and the path that you were on back then and you, and you think, man, that, that could be my life today. And, and I look at them and I go, there's not a thing in their life that I would trade them for right now. You know, it doesn't matter how much money they've made. doesn't matter, you know, what, what their definition of success is. Uh, you know, what God's done in our lives and the journey that he's taken us on. Um, have zero regrets and look forward to a lot of, a lot of more change in, in the future. Um, the other day at, at the house, you know, we were just sitting around. We were kind of in one of those moods where you really weren't hungry, but you're kind of snacky. You know, one of those times, you know. And... Uh, Tam said, there's a, there's a smoothie in the refrigerator from Mama Jean's. And I said, well, I'll, I'll take that. She pulls it out, and I, words out of my mouth, that looks like dirt. <laughs> it did. It was, a, it was a chocolate one, you know. So, and Mama Jean's, they got them real big straws. And, of course, I'm kind of hammering it up a little bit, you know. You know? And it's chocolate. And I'm kind of closing my eyes, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, now, I have to redefine my idea of what chocolate tastes like right now. Because this isn't quite the chocolate taste I'm used to, you know. And so, and I know it's healthy for you, and that's probably a good thing. Obviously, it's a good thing. But you know, in life, sometimes we have to be willing to allow our definitions to be remade and redefined. And, and I think in God's kingdom and what he wants to do, what he wants to do in our life as we move forward day after day, year after year, and that we need, to be, we need to be putty in his hands where he can redefine our definitions. Because sometimes we get definitions that we're so stuck on, and God's trying to pull us out of that, but he can't get us out of it because we're stuck on our definition of what, what he wants to do. Everything we do in life is that way. The way you read the word, the way you pray, the way you, you come to church and worship, the way you share your faith with other people. We, we have these preconceived ideas of what it's going to be like. And, and, and uh, you know, I just think God has much bigger ideas. I think he has much broader ideas of how to do things and what he wants to do and what he wants to expand on. And, and uh, cause, well, let, me, let me just kind of get it down to, to wherever where we live a lot of times. You know, when we, when we define how we do church, of course, pastor always likes to break those definitions. He's, he's all in on this part, you know, so because like, yeah, I can't have a ritual, can't have a rut, you know, can't have a routine, you know, and that's good. We need that, amen? We need that. But we also need those anchors every once in a while that says, whoa, boy, <laughs> not too fast. <laughs> You'll shock our system. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, if we were to sit and think about what church would look like if God redefined it for us, have we ever thought about that? If God redefined, if we came in with a blank slate today and said, God, I want you to redefine what today is going to look like. I want you to paint the picture. I want you to, to write the letter of what today is going to consist of. And, and suddenly we start running into some things that sometimes we may not feel like that's exactly our idea of what church or the presence of God should be like. Are we ready 
for God to redefine a few things? Are we prepared? Are we yielded? Are we submitted enough to be able to allow God to uh, remake the way we think? Because he does all the time. He wants to even more. And if we're willing, he'll take us on a journey like you've never seen. And it won't be what you've ever perceived. The Bible says, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has laid up in store. You think he's talking about heaven only? Or you think he's talking about a journey right now? We haven't even begun to conceive, perceive what God can do if we'll let him change the definition of a few things. Amen? So what's he want to redefine? Now here's the, here's the easy part, because all of us are like, woohoo, redefine this, redefine that. You know, why? Because we don't like that. But we, you know, or something going on in our life, or the way we do life, or or the way other people are, and we're like, yeah, God, go change them. They need changed. You know, redefine them, redefine all this. Because I obviously I've got the right definition, right? So or there's things that are easy, but when it gets down to the things that we have held onto so tightly, those are the things that we want to we have to be careful about because those are the things that's, that uh, uh, sometimes get us stuck, and God wants to redefine those as well. Not that we're talking about definitions today, we're not, but uh, there's a position of our heart, our mind, our attitude that we have to have in order to move forward in the kingdom. Has to be. And allowing God to define the future is important. Not allowing ourselves to take hold of the future, take hold of what's, what we think should be and should come is, is not a good place for us to be because our ways are so much lower than his. All right? We will, we will badly miss the mark if we do that. We need to let God be God, and that means letting him redefine in our lives. It doesn't just, it's not just a saying. It's not just something that we just go, okay, let God be God, you know, and just sit back and, okay, God, if you can do something, I'm wanting to do something, boy, but I'm wanting to do it inside of you, and I'm wanting to change your thinking. I'm wanting to change your mentality. I'm wanting to change your ideas. I'm wanting to break some old rough stuff off. I'm wanting to add a few new things in and change your perspective. That's what God wants to do. Don't you believe that? All right, it's going to be a little bit of a... Christmas story, not that I'm real fond of the, you know, trying to build messages towards the seasons. That, that's usually not where I'm at. I don't follow the calendar very well myself. Uh, uh, so, but uh, there's a little bit of a Christmas in this, and I hope you guys can catch this and find it. But <clears throat> there's also, we're going to be talking about, we're going to spend a lot of time in Luke. Um, and, uh, but looking at, familiar passages talking about the parable of the sower and there's there's three things that the seed in the parable of the sower and you guys should you guys probably know it pretty well uh there's three things that the seed has to be able to pass through and survive in order to become fruitful in people's lives and and we're not going to talk about all three of them we're just going to focus on one of them there's a lot in all of that but we're going we're going to tie it back to, um, to a little bit of the Christmas story. <coughs> Excuse me. So there's three stages that they have to pass through, and we know the parable. It talks about about the uh, 
the seed that fell along the wayside, the seed that fell along stony ground, and the seed that fell along thorny ground. And it has to pass through, has to survive those three to get to the fruitful place. But in, in we're going to focus on the very first one because I think that this is the, the order, the, the way that God would, would, uh, would have us go through this today. So in, uh, in Luke chapter 8, <clears throat> and the parable of the sowers in Matthew chapter 13, Mark chapter 4, and Luke chapter 8, and they all say basically the same thing, but there's a few key things in, in, in the other passages that, that I think will help us today. But it says, the sower went out to sow his seed in verse 5, and, he, and he, he sowed, and some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Now, we're going we're gonna to jump down to uh, verse 11, and it says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, okay? The seed is the word of God, and then it says, those beside the road are those who have heard, then the devil comes and take away the, takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. So the seed is the word of God, okay? So when God, when God speaks, it comes in what form? Seed form. So when God speaks, it comes in seed form, and the seed is the word of God. And so it says in, in verse 12 there, it says, when they hear the word, right? When they hear the word. So when the seed is sown, the seed is sown every time that you hear the word. Every time you hear a word or the word from God, that is seed being sown. I don't care if it's coming across your radio in a song. I don't care if you've read it, read it on a billboard or on a pamphlet or wherever you have seen the word of God or heard the word of God. That is seed being sown. Every single time that seed being, that's, that, that is the way God sows his word. And so what is this, this word that's being sown? It says that, or I, you know, my definition of when, when God says a word and he speaks, the, the word that he speaks are his thoughts and his intentions, okay? So when you speak something, when you say something, it's your thoughts and your intentions. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11, another uh, commonly used verse, tells us what God's thoughts and intentions are. Does everybody know it? I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So when God sows his seed, he's sowing his thoughts and he's sowing his intentions into our lives, okay? And his thoughts and his intentions are this, they are not to do you harm, but they are to always benefit you. Anytime we see something in the word of God and we think God is this cosmic killjoy, we've got the wrong idea of the thoughts and intentions of God. God is there for your benefit and to increase in your life, okay? And, and it's not just to make you feel better, but he actually has a plan with his word that he's sowing into our life, and that plan is to give you a future and a hope. In other words, this seed is not just for right now. This seed is for days and months and years and years to come. This seed is meant to grow. Okay? It's meant to increase, and it's meant to give you a future, one that you have 
filled with hope and anticipation. And I got to thinking about hope. We know that, that the definition of hope is the, the earnest expectation of good is one way of saying it, or expecting to receive something uh, that you desire or want. That's hope, okay? But when we have hope without this expectation of God's seed growing in our life, all we have is a wish, okay? Wish is like, man, I wish I could have that, and I, I wish this would happen, and I wish that would happen. But when you get wish with the seed, because seed comes in, and now faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, and this seed has the potential to produce a hope that will realize its final outcome. It will produce. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me. So God, God's thoughts towards us, his plans towards us are good, and they're, they're, they, have an, they have a big paintbrush of what the future can look like, okay? And you, don't, you and I have not even begun to fathom what that could look like. We don't know. We would like to go, hey, God, give me the paintbrush and let me paint a few things in myself. Right. You know, we would like to do that because we think we're so much smarter well, we don't really think we're smarter than God, but, but sometimes we think we know better than God does. No, we don't really think we know that. We, we really don't, but we act like we do, right? And, and so we just continue to get in the way sometimes of what God is wanting to do. So God is, is sowing seed into our lives. And this, kinda, th this thought got started a while back when... Uh, Tam and, and the kids had went down to revival meeting, and uh, Hannah came back, and she said, you know, he spoke, uh, he spoke this word to me, and he said, and told me what he said, and, he said, and she goes, you know, I, I just, I just don't really, I mean, I just don't know that I've ever saw that. I don't know that I've ever seen myself doing that, and I told her, I said, well, Hannah, I said, maybe it's just in seed form. Maybe you just got the seed of the idea and the thought. Isn't that how God has to do it? He has to plant the thought in your heart and in your mind before it can begin to develop. He has to plant that. So if it's in seed form and you get a word and you get a word, maybe a, a word of knowledge or, or a word of wisdom from God or you get something out of, the, out of the scriptures where you read that, that's a seed with an intended outcome, a seed with an intended purpose. And so when we hear the word and listen to it, we want to listen attentively to it. So, uh, and God's word is inherently different. We've talked about this before because God's word carries in itself, its seed, that seed carries in itself the power to create itself, okay? So when you look at something, you get a word and you go, I just mm, doesn't compute. I don't see how that can happen. I can't do that. That's okay, because the seed carries in itself the power to create what the Word is supposed to do. It carries in itself. Me and Ethan, we talked about this a while back where we were talking about Ethan one night at bedtime, and we're saying God can't lie. He's not man that he can lie. And the reason, the only way God can't lie is if there's something different about his words than ours. And that has to be the fact that his words carry the creative power to do whatever he says, so that even if, even if he tried to lie, it would just create itself. Does that make sense? 
So, it, you, know, it, you know, if this building was, you know, you know, a lot bigger and packed with people and God was to say, you know, man, that's that building. That's the biggest, nicest, most beautiful building in all of USA. It just <coughs> uh, beg to differ, God. You know, but God's seed, his word carries the power to create it and it would become that. Okay, now here's, the, here's a little bit of thing that we have to realize too, that um, I've never grown fruit trees. So I was looking up a little bit about trees and I was kind of shocked that um, how long it takes a fruit tree to grow to begin to be fruitful. But there's two different types of fruit trees. Most of them have a, what they call a dwarf tree. Anybody ever heard of a dwarf fruit tree? And the dwarf fruit tree doesn't grow as near as big and doesn't take up as much room in your backyard. And, uh, and it produces fruit in abundance in about half the time, about three to, three to five years it's producing fruit versus a regular fruit tree that grows much taller, has nice pretty blossoms and all this stuff, takes about seven to 10 years to grow and produce fruit. And so, you know, you think, wow, you know, I want to be, I want to be the one, Lord, I mean, I don't like the sound of a dwarf tree, but I mean, you know, if we're going to get right to being fruitful, that's the place I want to be. I want to get right at it and start producing right away. But here's the problem with the dwarf fruit tree is that they die early and they don't last as long and they don't produce as much. They produce, I think it is uh, uh, one eighth the amount of what a what a real fruit tree produces. So all in all, it may sound like a big flash in the pan and more we're excited about that, but which would you rather be in the long run? And so when we get before God and we say, God, I, I thank you for your seed and I want this seed to grow, here's our commitment to the seed it needs to be that we're in it for the long haul. It may take years to develop that seed. It may take a while for that that uh, uh, seed to begin to produce fruit in our lives. Are you in it for the long haul or the flash in the pan? Yeah, long haul. Baby, we like the flash in the pans. We love the excitement and the emotions, woohoo. But you know what, if, it, it, if you walk out the door <clears throat> and, and you know, the world slaps you right back in the face and, and, and suddenly you realize, you know, I'm not in this for the flash in the pan, I'm in this for the long haul. Because, because the world's gonna make sure you understand that this is no cakewalk, right? Right? And it's not a cakewalk, and that's okay, because we're in it for the long haul, right? Yep, we're not backing up, we're not turning around, we're not stopping. We've got, we've got, we've got a destination that God has in mind. Maybe we have a destination in mind. I just hope that my destination is in line with God's. If it's not, then we'll scrap mine and go with his. How's that sound? That work? So, now, The seed, nothing was created without the Word. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So understand that God's seed is valuable to us because nothing's going to happen without it. All right? Nothing. So it comes in seed form. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 1. Now, there's a part of me here that has a little bit of a sense of humor. I don't think my humor's right, but I'm going to share it with you anyways because I think it's funny. Um, 
But in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, we won't read everything, uh, every verse just for the sake of time. But it says, In the days of Herod, king, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and, and he, had, he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense, and the whole of the multitude of the people were in prayer outside of the hour, out, outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for our petition, your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John, and you will have joy and gladness. I, I like the wills. If you read this, just underline the, the wills. Here's the wills. This is, this is what is going to happen, the way God, the, you know, you, you, she will bear a son. Um, lost my place. And, and um, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid. He will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John, and you will have, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to, their, to, their, to, to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, and this will be into the attitude of the righteous. So as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's a great word. That's a great seed. I mean, it's, the, the angel isn't saying this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen. This isn't what's going to happen just today, but it's going to happen for years and years and years to come. And, uh, and Zechariah said, and we all give Zechariah a lot of grief sometimes about this, but it's kind of like, I don't know if I'd do any better, you know, than Zechariah in that situation. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, walk around, hey, honey, come, come here, honey. <laughs> I just don't, I just don't know that the brain does have, doesn't have a hard time wrapping itself around what the Lord's saying. Now, when I was 42, I probably thought the same thing. And the next thing you know, we got Ethan. So... <coughs> I'm guessing Zachariah's a little bit older than 42 at this time, and probably Elizabeth too, but, um, you know, because in my mind, it's obviously still possible at 42, and maybe 60, you know, I don't know, but, but something isn't computing here, and I'm not sure that I would be any better, than what, better at interpreting what the angel is saying to me, uh, you know, than Zachariah was, so, so we kind of give him a lot of grief, and and, and I just don't think we should. Uh, but the, the angel, Zechariah said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Here's how you're going to know. Behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time. 
So that's pretty harsh response. It seems like that, right? Um, and, uh, and, and the only thing I can think of is that back here, the angel told him right at the beginning, listen, the Lord has heard your prayer, and this is what's going to happen. You know, it's not like the Lord has heard your prayer, and suddenly, you know, Zachariah throws up a, which prayer are you talking about, God? Surely not that one about Elizabeth having a baby or a son. Because, I mean, here God is answering your prayer, the prayer you've wanted and, and desired for so long, and now it's right in your face, and we're choking at it. You know what I mean? And we get that way sometimes because it doesn't look like the way that we thought it should because it's coming at the wrong time and the wrong people in the wrong place. And here all this is going on, and it doesn't look right to us, so now we're choking at it. But yet God is sending the answer. And, of course, it goes on, and, and, uh, but uh, we, we read more here about that, um, you know, that, that Zechariah finished out his, his responsibility there in serving in the temple, and then he went back home, and, his, and Elizabeth conceived, and then they went in, into seclusion uh, for, for five months. They went into seclusion. And so that's how things kind of went for them. Now, obviously, things were quiet in Zechariah's world, um, but I've got some ideas, I think, that might play into that here in a minute. Now, we see a different thing happen here when Gabriel comes and visits Mary six months later. Now, here's my funny part of this, because you guys know the story that Gabriel visited Mary and told him that she was highly favored and, and that, that uh, you know, but Mary had trouble with this also. The Bible says that she was per perplexed. And when you look at that word perplexed, it actually means as though two confused minds were arguing with each other. Now, that's, that's making it hard to wrap your head around it, right? All right, so, so she is perplexed at this moment, and he tells her some of the same things, don't be afraid, and then gives her this seed of what's going to happen in her life, and she comes back with a logical question, how is this going to be since I no, haven't known a man? And she gets a totally different response from Gabriel. I'm troubled about this. Not really. <laughs> I was asking Tamara that, that, that I said, do you, think, do you think angels can make mistakes? Is it possible? I mean, do you think that, that maybe when, uh, you know, Gabriel had dealt with Zechariah like he did, you know, he had six months to go back up and be with the father in order to kind of, you know, assess how he did. <laughs> And maybe the father just said, whoa, oh, hold on here, buddy. You're just being a little bit too tough on these guys. You know, hey, I'm going to back you up because you're my man and, I, and you've been there with me all through this. But let's take it a little bit easier on these folks in the future. You think, you think in my mind, I just think I could totally see that happening. But uh, I don't think that's really what it was. Actually, what I think is that somehow in God's kingdom and the angels that they can, they they have a sense for belief and unbelief, for faith and unbelief. They have a sense for that, and they respond accordingly. And so they know, even without us understanding the lingo and all that stuff, uh, Gabriel would have probably had some insight into the fact that what Zechariah was speaking was a lot of doubt and unbelief. And, uh, and he had very, very little, uh, I don't know if, I wouldn't even say, you know, we, I don't know that he doesn't have any tolerance for it, 
but he silenced Zechariah, and I, and I think we're going to see why here in just a minute. Because he didn't just silence Zechariah, he actually secluded Elizabeth. Because Elizabeth said, this is how the Lord has dealt with me as he was taken away my disgrace or my shame. When she was in seclusion, okay? So we're going to give you a baby, the thing you've longed for all your life, the very thing that you think is just, you know, this is the greatest news. Let's go tell the world, right? Nope. You're just going to, you're going to go off here and you're going to stay here for a while. Why? <clears throat> well, I think that the enemy, if we go back to Luke chapter 8, and we see the, it says that the sower went out to sow his seed, verse 5, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. We go down to, to verse 11 again, it says, it says that those, or verse 12, those beside the road are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. So the word in the first part, while it's under metaphor, uh, is saying that the word is, is, tra is um, uh, trampled underfoot. Is that how it says it exactly? It says, and it, was it fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air ate it up. Now, now, know that this parable, it's a metaphor, right? It's, 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 a, it's a parable, uh, and it's a story relating. So, so you can look at these, these passages in, in very much in, in the metaphor that they are. And so when I think about seed being sowed along the side of the road or along a path or uh, being thrown in places where seed just obviously won't grow, it doesn't quite get there for me. And then there was some idea that there's a path that goes through the middle of the field and some of the seed fell over onto that path. Okay, however you want to look at it. But here's, here's the metaphorically when it says that the, that the seed fell along the side of the road or along the way, that word way isn't just a physical path, but it's actually a way of thinking, a way of behaving, Okay. So God's trying to sow seed into our thoughts, into our actions, into our daily life, and he's throwing seeds and interjecting them into places. And this is the place where immediately, in, in another passage, I think it's in Matthew chapter uh, 13, where he talks about, about when the seed w was sown along the wayside, and it says, immediately, immediately Satan came to steal, to take away the seed. You understand that the, the devil knows where the danger is and the danger lies in the seed that's sown. And if he can get it while it's still just a seed before it becomes a plant, it's a lot easier for him to, to deal with that at that point. So he comes immediately. So here comes a thought, God's thoughts and his intentions towards you, his seed that's wanting to produce in your life. Here it comes and here comes the enemy to try and steal that seed. Now, how does he do that? Well, it says they were trampled underfoot. That word trampled there metaphorically literally means or metaphorically means uh, to treat with rudeness and insult. Trampled underfoot. To treat with rudeness and insult. Now, some of you guys got to get a hold of this. Because 
How many times has God come and spoken something to you, either in the Word or through somebody's lips or through a message, and God has said something to you, and immediately in your own brain, you start having an argument with that Word, right? It can't be. It's not going to be for me. This isn't going to happen. Uh, this isn't right yet. Uh, you know, that won't, you know, and we start having this argument in our mind with this word. And that's where the enemy really likes to get it because if he can downgrade that word in your life to something that has to have other things to make this happen or, or, or it just can't happen for you or yeah, 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 yeah. If he can downgrade that in your life, he's already got that seed halfway out the door of your life. Or there you try to hold on to that word and believe in it and have hope in it and share it with somebody and then not get the response from that person that you anticipated until that person goes, well, you know, I don't think God, I don't, you know, don't take every word you hear as gospel. <clears throat> don't take all of it seriously. You know, how many times... Maybe not how many times, but have you ever had someone come to you, especially a young person, teenager, come to you, man, I think God's called me into evangelism. I think he's called me into evangelism. You know, when, when that often happens, it's usually right after they've been in a revival, right? That's when that often happens. So, so they come up and they, and, they, and they feel this impression that God's called them into, into evangelism, and if we're not careful... We're the naysayers that are going, yeah, I don't think so, you know, probably not. You're just excited because the services were so good and, and all this. Don't you know that an evangelist plant, plants seeds of evangelism? He does. That's his job. He plants seeds of evangelism. And so, so if we're not careful, uh, we'll share our word with other people that aren't trustworthy. They don't. They don't care about the seed that God's planted in your life like you do. They don't care about your future that God's wanting to invest in or wanting to build. They don't care about any of that. They care about their own limited world and their own limited vision and, 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 and insight. So, so when, when you get a seed, and this is what I see with Zachariah and Elizabeth and that, that God secluded them. Because look, whenever... whenever um, you know, Jesus was walking on the earth, and, and there, there were, he was doing miracles and signs and wonders. He had plenty of people going saying, isn't this, you know, isn't this, uh, uh, you know, our kindred or whatever, you know, I can't even remember exactly what he said, but is it, you know, we're, we're, he's like our neighbor, man. He's, isn't he like the person that we went and played ball with? I mean, how can he be doing all this stuff, you know? And so they immediately begin to downgrade what, what's going on in, in a person's life. And there's plenty of that to go around, trust me. But that's how the devil wants to do. He wants to pull at that seed that's in your life, that seed that is going to take maybe seven to ten years to develop and to grow and to become fruitful because we're in it for the long haul. Everybody say long haul. Long haul. Long haul. Okay. We, we got to get away from the flash and the pan and, and, and that idea that if it doesn't work right now, it doesn't work because it works. Seed has to grow. It has to, take, it has to have time to grow. So uh, the enemy tries to come and insult, downgrade, 
the seed that's inside of you to try to steal it. That's, that's his tactics. Try to make you, through unbelief, uh, not, not receive or not hold on to the seed. All right, here's what... Um, we already talked about the power of the seed. God's not man that he could lie. There's power already in the seed. Did you ever think about that God has a purpose for that seed? Purpose of the seed is to do what? To what? Produce fruit. So the purpose of the seed is to eventually produce fruit. And that fruit, fruit always has to have a outlet, an, uh, a people to, to be there to nourish for. Fruit that just hangs around a tree is useless. It's not fruit. But fruit that is touching people's lives, impacting their lives, uh, nourishing them, healing them, doing things in their lives, that's the fruitfulness that I see God talking about. That the seed has a purpose to produce fruit. The seed also has a potential. The potential of the seed is a hundredfold, right? Because at the end of the parable of the sower, we see that the good ground produced 30, 60, 100 fold. But every seed has the potential of a hundredfold. All right, y'all ain't with me. <clears throat> I heard somebody say that seed has potential, <laughs> has potential of a hundredfold. All right? A hundredfold. We somehow limit the seed, the word of God that he's brought into our life. He's spoken something to you. He's, he's inspired you in prayer. He, he, he's gave you a revelation. We somehow limit that to that. It's just going to be fruitful a little bit. The seed is not intended to be fruitful a little bit. It's intended to be a hundredfold producing seed. And you know that in order to be a hundredfold producing seed, you have to travel by the 30-fold producing seed level and travel past the 60-fold producing level until you get to the hundredfold level. You have to go past that level. In Romans chapter 12, uh, it tells us that, that um, uh, let's just go there and read it. Y'all with me? <clears throat> it says, therefore, I urge you, verse 1, urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You want to know how seed gets hung on to? You want to know how seed grows in our life? You want to know how you hang on to it? You stay in this frame of mind right here. You stay right there presenting yourself as a living sacrifice acceptable to God. Mary's response to the angel was being unto me according to your word, declaring herself the bond slave of the Lord. We know we're sons and daughters. We know that. But you know what? He's the king. He's the master. He's the Lord. He's the creator. He's all of it, right? And so we're not going to sit back and go, well, we're, we're sons and daughters, and we get to make these decisions ourselves. You go ahead and go with that and tell me how that works out for you because it's not going to work out too good. It's only when we take that, that humble position, we say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, whatever you want to do with my life, whatever you want to use me for, or, or, or wherever you want to go with me, as long as you're with me, let's go, right? Until we hit that point where we're humble before God, we're handpicking the seed that we're willing to take in, and the only thing we're going to get is a bunch of junk. 
because the seed that we pick won't grow in that type of soil. Anyways, all right. Verse 2, and do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. And this is the part that I like, that, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. It indicates to me that, that in a lot of ways we can take our salvation, we can take our inspirations, and we can go out and we can do some good things with it, and we can begin to produce a little, okay? Or then we can start saying, God, how do you want this to look? Because, you know, I mean, it's somewhat working, but I think it could work better. I think if I give this to you and you show me how to do this, that it can produce more until suddenly now we're not just doing something because it looks good. Because, you know, when we do good things, a lot of times, and I'm just speaking from experience, a lot of times you start to do something good. And the next thing you know, you're going, man, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for God. Man, I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for me. Man, don't I look good. Woo. I feel so good about myself. I did something for God today. Wow. Pat myself on the back. And you know what? Let other people pat you on the back. Let somebody else pat you on the back. Let God, let the Holy Spirit pat you on the back. I know, and you know, that, that's to be said, we should all be patting each other on the back, right? Okay. You're doing good. You just keep going with God. Blow on that seed. We don't blow on. Does, does that work? Let that seed grow. Come on. Do whatever you got to do to encourage that seed to grow and to grow and to grow. But don't, but don't ever take your eyes off the fact that, that it is him and not you. Because trick of the devil, just that quick, gets you to doing something good. And the next thing you know, he's, he, you know he's looking, you're looking at yourself whether you did good or whether you failed or whether you flopped or whatever, okay? All right, so wrap this up. Um, so seed has the potential, has the power to, to create itself, purpose to create fruit, fruit, and the potential to reach a hundredfold. So what I like and what I see what happened with Zechariah and uh, Elizabeth and, and Mary if you look at the timeline there, uh, Elizabeth was in seclusion for five months, okay? Now, what's happening? All she's got at the beginning is a word, a word, okay? And they accept that word. Of course, Zachariah doesn't have any option but to accept the word, and he can't talk about it. So since he can't really talk about it with everybody, then he doesn't have all these naysayers telling him, ah, you, know, it's a, you know, people trying to choke out the word. And so now they're in seclusion by the will of the Lord. And so they're there until, what happens in five months? Five months, man. I'm not believing the word. I'm feeling the word. It's moving around in my womb. It's, it's, you don't have to convince me anymore. I've got a hold of this thing. It's right here. I'm feeling it. Now, six months has gone by, and Mary gets a word, and she receives that word. But with that statement, Gabriel tells her, hey, listen, your cousin Elizabeth is now six months pregnant. So now she doesn't just, she's not just stuck there with her own word. Now she can run over to somebody that has received a word and has experienced the word, somebody that can breathe into her and, and can build her up. And of course, you know the account. 
when she walks in, the Holy Spirit uh, hits John the Baptist. He leaps in his womb. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. They begin to prophesy. And one of the things that Elizabeth said about Mary was, blessed are you because you believed the word of the Lord. Okay, you believed it. And, and so then what you see is that they, they just have this Holy Ghost moment. But you see Mary's response to what Elizabeth says, and she, she's very humble, and she's worship, and she's praise, and she's humble. It all goes together in that state of mind. She really is. And then she spends the next three months hanging out with Elizabeth. Now, you get a couple of women that are impregnated by the word, sitting around for three months, buddy, that would not be a safe place to be. I mean, there'd be so much happening there. Just You'd walk in going, whoa, what's happening in here? I mean, they just, they just I could just see that just nurturing and, and encouraging one another and wondering about what all this was going to end up coming to be. Amazing, amazing. And God wants to do that in our life with every word that we receive. And some of, you, some of us have received words that we've kind of let go along somewhere back there. What has God spoken about you and your, your future? What has he spoken about your family? What's he spoken about this church? What's he want to do in this region? What's he want to impact this country? There's a future, but you got to be in it for the long haul. You got to grab hold that seed. There's other aspects of the parable of the sower. Uh, and I'll just give you these two. No, I won't. I'll just hang on to that. So um, that's good. It's really good. Uh, but stand with me, if you will. Every time you hear the word or see the word, it's seed being sown. Every time. Every time we come to church, we hear pastor preach, it's seed being sown, creating, able to create. Some of us heard, heard things years and years and years ago that we need to go back and go, God, did I lose it? Is it completely gone? Is it completely lost? Or is there still a chance that this seed could grow? And grab that seed and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for not recognizing what you're wanting to do in our lives. Forgive me, Lord God, for not taking that seed, holding on to it believing it and understanding that you're trying to do something in our lives. Bow your heads with me as we begin to worship the Lord just a little bit. Thank you, Lord. You know, if anything, what I'm after today is dormant seed. I'm looking for 
those things that God has spoken. That has spoken into your life, maybe. Maybe your role is Joseph right now. Or you just become the protector of the seed in somebody else. You become the provider, the encourager of the seed in somebody else. We're after that dormant seed today. I want you just to allow Holy Spirit, allow Him right now for just a, just a moment. We're not in a hurry. This is a long haul. We'll let God redefine whatever He wants to redefine. What has He said to you? What has He spoken to you? Maybe now, maybe it was last week, maybe it was years ago that He spoke a word to you. Father God, we just ask you to bring that seed back to life. We ask you, Lord God, to cause that seed to grow again. Lord, the seed has to first grow down before it grows up. Lord God, we just pray that it grows down deep into our soul. Lord God, that it become a living plant inside of us. That, Lord, we would see that, that word, that prophecy, that revelation, we would see that right now, fresh, new, with fresh eyes, fresh eyes, with fresh hope, hope, Lord God, because, Lord, you want us to have that. Lord, mostly that we see you and your kingdom, Lord God, and what it can do and what it can impact, Lord God, that Jesus would be glorified with our lives. Father, we don't want mansions and money and man things, Lord God. We want you and your kingdom today. Search deep. Pull up those dormant seeds. Humble yourself before God. Say, God, whatever you want to do with my life, you can do it. Worship him. Worship Him. The real challenge in a moment like this of pulling up dormant seed is whether you'll still possess that seed next week or next month or a year from now. It's a long haul. Let's go the distance. <laughs>